In the book of the Revelation, Jesus appeared to John the Apostle and gave him words to speak to seven of his churches. In Revelation 3, it says, To the angel, to the messenger of the church in Laodicea, write these words. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm standing in front of the very church that Jesus spoke those words to. This is the church at Laodicea. I was actually in this city, the city of Laodicea, eight years ago, and at that time, it was like a vacant field with a few pillars here and a couple of signs that had been an ancient city. Since, they have uncovered most of the city. walking on the top of the remains of the pagan temple in Laodicea and I love this view because you can see the proximity of the church of Laodicea. I mean it's right there and the people who were following Jesus in that day just knew that their message could overpower any message. They didn't want to hide, they didn't want to be removed, they wanted to be close because they believe their message could bring light to a world of darkness. To me, it's, it's challenging and it's amazing. Well, good morning, Northridge. Great to see you. I want to give a special welcome to Northridge Brighton and an extra special welcome to Northridge Grosseal. We are, for the first time, live streaming to Grosseal, and so we're all one family here, meeting at one time. And if you're a guest, welcome. And uh, just, I'm Brad Powell, the guest teacher today at Northridge Church. And it is just a privilege to be back. I, I've been a part of all the services this summer, though a hidden part. And it, weren't the speakers phenomenal? I mean, what a great series. We, we work really hard. We want everyone who ever is influenced by Northridge to know that God doesn't speak just one way or through one kind of person. He speaks through different genders and different ethnicities and people with different backgrounds and experiences and economic places and education places. And we worked hard to spread the diversity. And it was just such an exciting summer uh, to, to hear God speak, to watch Him impact our lives. And I I, during the summer, get to continue leading, had a little time with family on vacation, but got to keep leading, but in the shadows and in the background, preparing forward for series like this and doing some structural leading, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful season, and I can't wait for you to see all that God has planned for us as we move into the new year. And so, welcome to a new ministry season. For those of you who are guests, welcome to Northridge. We're thrilled to have you here. And um, we start this new series called Origins. You just saw the introduction video to it, and we're starting in Laodicea. And I, I just, I have to tell you, 
it was crazy, crazy, crazy for me to stand right there at the church of Laodicea. Knowing that this is where that church family actually gathered, knowing that Jesus had personally spoken to this church family in what we now call the book of the Revelation, it, it blew my mind. I, I, I've read the words of Jesus to this church for years and years and years, but eh, let's be honest, doesn't sometimes the words that God gives us in the Bible seem a little bit far removed from us? The, the people and the stories just seem so far away from us. We live in the 21st century after all. And, and yet when I stood there at the church of Laodicea, it hit me. It's not abstract. It's not far away at all. They are, they are people like us worshiping back then. It's real to us. They, they, they built a building to meet in just like we did. And as you saw in that video, a phenomenal building. The size of it was crazy. And, and they were very much like us, though removed centuries from us. And, and then what really boggles my mind is Jesus actually burst out and talked to them. And because they were so much like us, it makes Jesus' words more real and relevant and powerful for us. And I'll just be honest, this is what the series of Origins is all about. It's supposed to bring to life God's Word by taking you via video to where it actually unfolded. And this year we're focusing on, on the origins of the church itself. We've done two other parts of Origins, and they've all concentrated on what happened in Israel itself. We did the life of Jesus, and then we did the Old Testament. But this season, we're taking it into the church. And, and I want to I give you kind of a picture. We, we here in America don't really do well with geography, you know. And those of us who live in Michigan, we think everything in the world can be displayed on a mitten. Yeah, it's right here. No, it's here. It's here. And so I, I want to kind of give you an idea of, of where this all unfolded in the world, okay? And, and let's start with this map. I don't know if you recognize it or not. It's the world that we live in, okay? And when, when I ask you to pick out where Israel is, most of you would have a difficult time. We, we're not great with geography. And so I thought I'd show you. We're going to pull it out on the next slide uh, where Israel is. And then the church started moving north and west in what is now modern-day Turkey, modern-day Greece, and modern-day Italy, actually, Rome. And so this series is going to take us to those places. This weekend, as we start Origins Part 3, we're going to take a deep dive into modern-day Turkey itself, as you'll see, and into this city called Laodicea. It's in the western part of modern-day Turkey. It's going to be, I trust, as impacting in your life as it has in mine. But before we get there, why don't we pray together? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this moment in time where every single one of us has set aside a moment in hopes to hear from you. Some of us are gathered, gathered here in Plymouth. Some of us are gathered at Northridge Brighton. Some are gathered at Northridge Grosseal. Some are gathered at Northridge Saline and and some are watching online, but, but God, we're all desiring the same thing, to find what you've created us for, what you've promised us, life and life to the full. And I pray 
that you would speak deeply into our hearts and move us and mark our lives in this moment. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. When, when Roxanne and I, Roxanne, if you're a guest, is my wife, when Roxanne and I were just a young married couple and starting our family, we were already in ministry together and quite happy, if I'm honest, but very, very, very poor. I mean ministry poor. But there was a moment when we thought all of that was going to change. We received a letter in the mail telling us that we had won a major sweepstake prize. We were so excited. You see, Roxanne used to fill out every sweepstake thing she could get her hand on, hoping that one day, you know, one day she wouldn't have to live on a pastor's salary anymore. And so she'd fill those things out. And finally, it looked like it paid off. It, it, I mean, the letter, I, we know about the scams, but this letter, it looked like we struck lightning. No kidding. We had won. We got the golden ticket. Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory was going to be ours. I mean, we had come into the money. And, and what we did was we, we started thinking about our future. We started dreaming of how our lives were going to be different. Oh, of course, we'd stay in ministry. God had called me to do ministry, but we wouldn't have to live on a pastor's salary. We could invite you over to the pastor's palatial mansion, not funded by your giving, but funded by the sweepstakes prize, right? We were excited and filled with hopes and dreams. To make a long story short, uh, and miserable, when our winnings showed up, it turned out that our prize was a worthless little rock the size of a sunflower seed. We won! You know, if it had been a diamond or a precious stone, that'd be awesome. But no, it was like a piece of concrete the size of a sunflower seed or a lava rock. It was a worthless piece of junk. And here's what happened. We had allowed ourselves to begin thinking we were rich, but in reality, we were still dirt poor. And there is a huge truth about life. There's a big difference between thinking something and being something, right? And yet we as human beings have a hard time really plugging into this reality. I've had to learn this lesson over and over and over and over again. You see, when I was young, I loved basketball. Loved, loved basketball. I practiced basketball all by myself three hours a day. I went to basketball camp, and, and I started thinking that I was becoming a great basketball player. I, and I'd, I'd watch the best college teams and the best pro teams on TV, and I'd go, <laughs> I can do that. I am a great basketball player. And then I had my chance to prove it. I got to do a walk-on tryout. Now, a walk-on tryout means that no Scott scout found you, no coach asked for you, no scholarships in the offering, but they opened it up just in case you might have greater skills than anyone ever determined, and you can try out. So I did a walk-on tryout, and I didn't do it at a Division I school. I didn't do it at a Division II school. I did it at a Division III school. So kind of the bottom of the heap, walk-on tryout. Brad Powell, greatest basketball player alive. 
You know what I discovered at that walk-on trial? I discovered I should have taken up a different sport. I never knew you had to be able to jump, move, and shoot to play basketball. I, I just never crossed my mind. I was horrible. I stunk. And once again, I learned this truth. There's a big difference between thinking and being. I thought I was great, but I wasn't. And what I want you to recognize is that this isn't only a, a truism for life. This is a truth when it comes to our relationship with God. There's a big difference between thinking and being. You see, there's a big difference between thinking Christian and trusting Christ. And the truth is, a majority of people who connect themselves with Christianity in any way, and that may or may not be you, but the majority who do think Christian. Sing Christian, say Christian, talk Christian, think Jesus, say Jesus, all that stuff. But they are not trusting Jesus. They think they have a relationship with God, they think about having a relationship with God, but they don't experience the power and the love and truth of Jesus in their everyday lives. The Bible really makes this truth clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is that place where God lives, that place where God rules, that place where God's will is being done, where we're experiencing God's best in our lives. And, and those of us who are experiencing God's best in our life aren't just thinking it and talking about it and singing about it once in a while in a place like this, but we're actually living it, being it, experiencing it. We're having power. And you know what I found about my life, and you know what I found out about a lot of Christians' lives? We think Christian, and we talk Christian. We, we talk about God's love. But, you know, we're not experiencing it. We're not sharing it. We, we think about God's joy and dream about it, but, but we don't experience it. We live and walk in sorrow. We think about and talk about hope and compassion, and peace, and meaning, and purpose, but, but we don't really experience it. We live no different than anyone else. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And you say, okay, what's that have to do with Laodicea? Well, Laodicea is the great example of this. I mean, it really is. What I want to do is I want to give you a bird's eye view, a big picture view of, of how they lived out this truth in such devastating ways. But then I want to take a deep dive in and show you the whole story so that we can get some hope out of it. Fair enough? Look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Jesus is talking, and this is pretty harsh stuff. He says, you, you Laodicean people, you people who talk about me and meet in a building and worship and all that different stuff, you say I'm rich. You say, you think you've acquired wealth and you don't need a thing. You know, you're gonna, you sing about my blessings, you talk about my blessing, you talk about the favor of God and how God's so good, you talk about how you got it all together and your life is rich and fulfilled and wonderful. You, you are thinking that you're great followers of Jesus. But then Jesus says to them, but here's the truth about who you are. 
You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You think you're great followers, but in truth, you're not. And then he goes, what you need to do is you need to buy from me gold refined in the fire. You're not rich at all. You're impoverished. You're holding on to fool's gold. You need to come to me if you're going to experience true gold and be rich and experience God's favor. You need white clothes to wear because you talk about how you're living such great lives, but the truth is you're just defined by guilt and shame and brokenness. And he says, you need salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And this is an interesting point. And you have to understand context is everything. One of the ways Laodicea was rich was because they had some medical stuff going on that they sold to the world. Ophthalmology, the, the, the medicine of the eyes was a big part of it, and they had developed a salve for the eyes in Laodicea that brought healing to the world for their eyes, and they got rich off of it. And you know what Jesus says? He says, you keep thinking that you're rich and you're solving the world's problems, but here's the truth. You need to come to me for the very thing that you're offering to others. You want to see? You want your eyes to be open? You need to come to me for that. Sad. I mean, he was just going, you think you're great Christians, but you're not trusting me. They thought they had everything, but in reality, they had nothing. In fact, they were living out what Jesus said in Mark 8, 36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? And they had gained riches in this world, but then Jesus says, and yet forfeit the soul. And he's simply saying to them, you think you're rich, but you're poor. Because there's a big difference between what we think and who we really are. But this is where we need to take the deep dive into the whole story because it has such relevance to us because we're so much like them. Here's what's interesting. They hadn't always been this kind of a church. They hadn't always been a church that, that said big words about how great they were as Christians but lived in such poverty of soul. You see, Laodicea had been a church that was on fire. They had been a church that represented Christ in an amazing ways and experienced the full impact of Christ in their lives, all of his promises. You, you saw it in the opening video, right? I'm standing in front of that church, and then I get up on the, the site of the temple that was devoted to people fervently serving false gods. And the church of Laodicea was so on fire for God that they said, we're not going to hide in the outskirts of town. We're going to come and place our church right next to that temple. And you know why we're going to do it? Because our God wins. That's what they said. You see, they talk about God, but we know the one true God. They talk about hope, but we know hope. They talk about love and life and purpose and prosperity, but we know it. And they planted that church right there by those who didn't know the true God. Talk about bold and confident and fearless. Talk about people who didn't take the easy or safe or comfortable path. They didn't hide their faith to protect themselves so that people wouldn't talk badly about them or reject them. They lived their faith openly. That's why they put their church right there. And by the way, as we were walking around the excavation of Laodicea, we found something that's very interesting that I want to show you. We found the, the etchings of a cross growing out of a menorah on a huge piece of marble. And this was found in the business district of Laodicea. And so you know what it tells us. It tells us that that a Jewish business person 
had found Christ, and because of that discovery, their life was so transformed that the cross now shaped who they were and grew out of all that they had been. The cross now defined their life. Jesus defined their life. And they put it on the pillar approaching their business. Now, this was in a day when, you know, people persecuted Christians. They rejected people who followed Christ. Business people, if they're good business people, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, it's okay to follow Jesus secretly. But you want the business of people who don't like people who follow Jesus, so you keep it quiet. That's the kind of world they lived in, but they put this on the pillar right outside their business. Why? Because they cared more about what Jesus had done in their lives and could do in the world than their bottom line of financial profit. They were hot, on fire, living for real, open to the world. The question is, what motivated them at this time, and we know it changes, but what motivated them at this time to live so openly? And this is important for us to know because we should be like that on fire, changing our world, living our faith out loud and open, right? What motivated them? Well, it's easy when you look at their church. They, they, they were a church on fire because they had experienced the life-changing impact of Jesus in their own personal lives. They had experienced him. They knew what it was like to live in a world of darkness, but then they experienced Jesus and they walked into the light for the very first time. They, they, they knew what it was like to be broken, defined by failure and shame and guilt. They, they knew that, but then they knew what it was like not to cover it up, not to hide it, but to have Jesus reach in and remove it and to be free. They, they knew what it was like to live in a world of hatred, but then they knew what it was like for Jesus to fill them with love that in a world of hatred they could still express love. They, they knew what it was like to live in a world that had no hope whatsoever, but then in Jesus to find hope. And Jesus had become such a treasure to them, more of a treasure than a profitable business, more of a treasure than being well thought of by those around them, that they wanted everyone else to know the treasure. and so. They didn't care what they lost. They were going to share Jesus so other people had the chance to gain. That's why they lived on fire for God. It goes beyond that, though. When you look at Laodicea, you understand that they genuinely believed. Not only did they experience what Jesus did in their own lives, but because of it, they genuinely believed everything Jesus said. They believed everything he taught. And people go, why did they go into this very godless city and build their church and, and put themselves at risk and suffer persecution as that? I mean, why did they do that? Because they believed everything Jesus said. You know what Jesus said, right? John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You know what they believed? They believed that the people farthest from God were loved as much by God as they were. And so they weren't going to hide from them. They weren't going to dismiss them. They weren't going to just hide in their little holy huddle in the church. They were going to take Jesus to their world because God loved that world. That's what motivated them. 
They believed what Jesus said. And you know what Jesus said? He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can get to the Father but by me. They knew that Jesus was the hope of the world and no one knew about that hope. And so if people were going to find the hope and the world was going to change, they would have to introduce people to Jesus so people could know God. And so they took Jesus to the world because they believed what Jesus said. They believed Acts 4.12 where it says there's no other name under heaven given among men where, where people must be saved. If you're going to be saved, I know there are lots of religious names and lots of religious thoughts and lots of philosophies in this world, but there's only one place that you can go and truly experience the transformation of your life, and it's to the name of Jesus. And so they didn't fear all the false gods and all the false philosophies. They were going to take Jesus to the world because he had changed them and they wanted to see their world changed. And they gave themselves. They were on fire. They gave themselves fully to Jesus' calling. I mean, Jesus made his call clear. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is what he's called all people who follow Jesus to do. He says, you will receive power. Not a bunch of talking points, not some new songs, not a new way to dress, not a new place to go on Sunday morning, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when you have the power of God at work in you, here's what you're going to be. You will be, not might be, you will be witnesses. And not just in places you're comfortable, not just in hiding, but in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When you've got the power of God, when you're not thinking Christian, but you're being a person who trusts Christ, you're filled with the power of God that you can't keep quiet. You're telling the world about it. I mean, that's what was going on with them. And so when they went to Laodicea, they couldn't shut up. The wife would say, don't talk about Jesus. They'd walk in and he'd start talking about Jesus. Or the husband would say, let's keep this quiet, not good for business. And the wife would just start spilling Jesus all over the place. Why? Because when you've got not just the thought of Christianity, but the Jesus of Christianity in you, you can't keep him hidden. And this is who they were. Couldn't stop them. They believed what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18. This was a part of one of our origin talks in a past series of origins. In Matthew 16, 18, it says... Jesus said that you're Peter, you, you, you're just a little stone, but, but on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Who, who's this rock? I mean, there's Peter, little stone, Petros, but on this rock I'm going to make... Well, you have to know context. What's context? Well, he took them 27 miles from where they lived. They would never do that in this world. They took them 27 miles to a rock, a rock known as the gates of hell. Why? Because the underworld was where the gods of the world were, and the underworld was pictured by water and fertility, and it was just bubbling up over this rock, I mean, just flowing out and creating fertility there, and they called it the gates of hell, the gates of the gods. And you know what they did? They built temple to all the gods, all of them. And they worshiped in perverse and vile ways to try and get these gods to wake up and give them fertility. And Jesus took his sweet little disciples there and sat on that rock and he says, do you know where I'm going to build my church? It's not going to be in a sweet little closet somewhere in hiding. It's not going to be in a little holy huddle where we hide from the world and we're afraid of them. I'm going to build my church 
on the heads of the other gods where false gods are worshipped because they're not real at all and I am and the gates of hell won't prevail against them. And when these guys went to Laodicea, they said, we're not going to hide, we're going to live in open because we believe that Jesus has called us to build his church on the heads of all the false gods. And they did it. It was an awesome gig. That's who they were. They were, they were on fire. This is... This is exciting to me. Here's, here's a question before I kind of get to the rest of the story. Are we on fire? I, I don't know, man. I, I'm having a hard time even seeing sparks. I mean, do we so believe... Have we so experienced the life-changing power of Jesus that it changes everything we do in life? Or do we believe so much everything Jesus said that we just know the rest of the world needs it? Do we, do we surrender so much to the call of God that we can't stop telling the story of Jesus wherever we are? We can't keep it a secret. Are we on fire? I'm not usually on fire like that. I don't think we are usually. And the truth is, Laodicea didn't stay on fire. Laodicea had been on fire, but they, but they lost it. Isn't that sad? They lost it. So much so that Jesus comes to them and he goes, you, you still think you're great. You still think you're a great Christian. You're, you're bankrupt. You're, you're just talking love. You're not living it. You're talking truth. You're not experiencing it. You're, you're talking compassion, but you're not delivering it. They lost the fire. Look, look at how Jesus says it in Revelation 3, 15 to 16. He says, I, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, there's a common, there's a common teaching about what this verse means that many of you have probably heard. And what they, they teach is, you know, God wants you to be hot, on fire for him, living full throttle for him. I mean, living lives for him. Or he wants you to be anti-God, anti-Christ, pagan, wicked, godless, dark, awful, as evil as you can get. God, they teach, wants you to be either really godly or really evil. Both of those are okay. But being in the middle and just a little lukewarm, he really hates that and that makes him sick. Now, isn't it odd that people think God wants you to be as godless and dark and as wicked as possible? That's cool. Or really godly, that's cool. But boy, just being a little bit, that's not, that's not what this means at all. And to show you, we thought we'd take you to the context again. Watch. The site where I'm at right now fascinates me. It's, it's literally the water terminal in the ancient city of Laodicea. I know we often think of these ancient peoples as not having technology, but they had a water delivery system. It's crazy, and it has great application for us to understand some of Jesus' words in the Bible. Because you see, Laodicea is about 12 miles from a city known as Heropolis, a, place of hot mineral springs where people from all over the world came for healing. Three Caesars came to be healed in those waters. And another 12 miles in a different direction is the now 
no longer existing city of Colossae, but in the day, it was large and rich, and it was known for its fresh, cold water. Mountain spring waters came down and fed it year-round. Laodicea, not so fortunate. It only had the runoff waters from Heropolis, which, by the time they reached here, were lukewarm and, and filled with mineral deposits. In fact, we found a broken off example. This is the original pipe filled with this fossilized mineral deposit. And it shows you what the lukewarm water of Laodicea did. It clogged up the whole system. It made it impossible for water to run through. Well, you know, Jesus in speaking to this church in the Revelation said that, I kind of wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I, I want to spit you out of my mouth. He, he was saying that, I, I wish that you brought refreshment like the cool waters of Colossae. I wish you, I wish you brought healing like the hot waters of Heropolis, but instead you're, you're clogging it all up. You're making it harder for people to find me. It just makes me wonder about us at Northridge, about me personally. And when people know me, are they finding refreshment? Are they finding healing? Or am I, are we, clogging the whole thing up? The Laodicean believers began when they were hot on fire for God as a wonderful delivery system to the people living in darkness in the world. They, they delivered with purity God's love and God's truth and God's power to their world. They, they brought the hot waters of healing. They brought the cool waters of refreshment spiritually to the world in the name of Jesus. But over time, they started cooling down. They became lukewarm. They were no longer as passionate about what Jesus had done in their lives. I mean, the further they got away from it, the less impact it really had. They, they were no longer as passionate about believing everything Jesus had said. Yeah, yeah, God loves the world. Heard that before. Let's get on to something deeper, something newer. And, and they no longer were willing to fully give themselves to God's calling. They gave themselves to all kinds of things, but the story of Jesus was no longer the main thing. And you know what happened? They were no longer delivering God's love and truth and power into the world. What happened to their lives is that though they were created to deliver those beautiful things of God into this world, they got all clogged up and they were no longer experiencing God's love, truth, or power and they were no longer delivering it to the world. They started pushing Jesus a little bit at a time out of their lives and they started trusting their own resources and own abilities. We're rich. We don't need him to provide our daily bread. We're rich. Everything's good. We're rich. We don't need anything from him. We'll sing our songs, say our words, call ourselves Christian, but, you know, we're not desperate for Jesus these days. And though they thought they were doing great, it ruined them. They went from being godly to just thinking they were godly, from being Christ followers to simply thinking Christian. And Jesus warned us about this, you know. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, you know, I'm the vine, I'm the source of life. You're just branches. If you remain connected to me and I remain in you, you're going to bear much fruit. Man, God's love and truth and power will flow through you.
but apart from me you can do nothing. When Laodicea was on fire, it was because they were a branch in the vine. They were just fully open to Jesus working in and through them. But when they became lukewarm, it was because they didn't need Jesus quite as much. They were kind of on their own. They might fit him in on a weekend once in a while, but he wasn't a part of their whole life. Sound familiar at all? Feel familiar at all? And they cooled down. And Jesus came and said, you, you talk rich, but you're poor spiritually. And I, I'm just going to be honest, I don't know where you are at, but more often than not, I feel like this pipe built to experience fully the flow of God through my life, but more often than not, stuck. Don't you feel like that sometimes? I feel like I'm better at talking about God's love and truth and power than I am at experiencing it. And I think the world would do better if they saw it in me instead of hearing it from me, don't you think? And the same is true with all of us. And so I start really beating myself up when I see this stuff. Yeah, there I am. There I am. But you know, there's good news in the story of Laodicea. I mean very good news because you see, Jesus didn't turn his back on them when they started pushing him out of their lives. Jesus just started knocking louder. He came to them, sought them out, still unconditionally loved them. The good news that I want you to see is though they had been on fire and then they lost it, they became lukewarm, clogged up, worthless and useless, Jesus came and said, your failure doesn't have to be final. In fact, look at how he says it in Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I don't desert. I, I rebuke and discipline. I come and tell you, you are thinking great, but you're not being great. And you need to change. I rebuke and discipline. And then he goes, and so what you need to do is respond. You need to repent. That simply means you need to see it for what it is. You need to change your mind. You need to change your direction. Stop trusting yourself and start trusting me. And he then says how to do it. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. The reason they went from on fire to lukewarm was because they started leaving Jesus out of their every moment lives. They started thinking about Jesus instead of actually trusting him. And what they needed was to let him back in. Did you know that a church like this, a church like Laodicea, can talk about Jesus, can sing about Jesus, and Jesus can be outside knocking? And the answer is, let them back in. The truth of a church is that a church isn't a building, a church is people, which means if Jesus is outside knocking, that means he's not in us, we've pushed him outside of us. What, what these people needed was to let Jesus back in. I think what we need is to let Jesus back in. Because you see, when Jesus is in us, by grace, he flushes all the junk out of our lives. That's what the cross of Christ is about, so that he could die for sin and forgive it. No longer do we have to cover it up and pretend it's not there, put on an image that it's all okay, but he can come and literally clean out the pipes. You know what happens when we let Jesus in? He brings 
healing into our lives, the hot water of healing, the brokenness, the burdens, the hypocrisy, the junk, the disappointment. He just heals us of it. Too many of us are carrying all that junk instead of letting Jesus heal it. We're thinking, but we're not being. And you know what happens when we let Jesus in? He pours the cold, refreshing waters of God into us. We're not thirsty. We're not having to lie and create images so people like us and pretend we're something we're not and hide who we really are because He's able to literally refresh us. And you know what happens when we're experiencing the hot and cold healing and refreshment of Jesus in our lives? You know what happens? It doesn't stay in there. It runs out, and we share it with everyone who knows us. Let me ask you, the person who works closest with you in the marketplace, are they drowning because of the flood of God's love that comes from you to them? Are they drowning in the truth that you can't help but share? Are they just, are they overwhelmed by the unbelievable impact of God in your life? Or do they even know that you're one of those people? You see, there's a big difference between thinking and being, and it's the lesson of Laodicea. But the good news is, though I have failed and fail even now, and you have failed and maybe are even failing now, we don't have to let failure be final because Jesus gave us the solution. And you know what the solution is? We have to once again recognize our desperate need for Him. Do you, do you know why Laodicea was hot for that season? It's because they knew they couldn't do anything without Jesus. They were desperate for Him. They weren't rich. They weren't okay. They were broken and poor. The only thing that is ever rich about us is not who we are or what we offer. It's about is Jesus in us or not. And so we need to be desperate for our need, recognize how desperate we are for Him. And then, if we're going to truly be on fire again, then we need to repent, he said, which we need to change our thinking. We need to go from closed and thinking we've got it all already to knowing we have nothing without him and opening our lives up to him again. And then, he said, you need to rely on me fully. They were hot when they believed what he said. They, they were true to his calling. They trusted and obeyed, and then they experienced his touch. You see, we need to stop thinking about trusting and obeying Jesus, singing about trusting and obeying Jesus, and we need to start being people who actually trust and obey Jesus because that's when life changes. Now, as I said in the beginning of this talk, what Jesus said to them has huge relevance to us. I believe that in this moment there is something for all of us to consider, a choice for all of us to make. Not some of, very often in talks, what we do is we sit there and say, this is good for Sally. This is so good for Junior. This is great for Bob. But the truth is, this is great for us. We all have a choice to make. Can I just tell you what I see as a pastor in me, in you? Can I just tell you? Some of us, some of you, are on fire for God right now. You're on fire. You're like Laodicea. You just, you're just a fire hydrant sharing God's love and truth and power as much as you can. I mean, you can't hide it. You're on fire. 
can't stop talking about it. It's defining who you are. You just came to Christ or got renewed in Christ or just got baptized. Something went on. You're on fire. But you need to know, being on fire today doesn't mean you'll be on fire tomorrow. Because the only thing lighting you up is Jesus. And the minute you start closing up to Jesus, the fire goes out. And so you need to make this choice. I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to start thinking I'm rich. I'm not going to start thinking I've done something great. I'm going to realize I'm still the poor, broken, burdened person I was. But Jesus in me lights me up. And I'm going to stay desperate for him. And I'm going to keep trusting him. That's what I'm going to do. If you're on fire, stay on fire. But some of us, and I'm going to be honest with you, this is the majority of us. We were on fire, right? We can remember that time where we just couldn't shut up about it. I mean, Jesus was at the front and center of everything, and we were on fire, and it was so exciting. We couldn't wait to get to church. Some of you can't wait to get out of church right now, right? You were on fire. The choice you have to make right now is, do you want your relationship with God to be past tense or present tense? You were on fire. Here's the choice you need to make. Get it back. Get it back. Get it back. Jesus is knocking on your door. He's knocking. He wants to be there. He's on the outside. Remember what he's done for you. Remember that what he says is true. Trust him. Obey him. Don't think about it. Actually do it. Let him in. And you know what will happen? Every bit of the junk and garbage and darkness that you've allowed to begin collecting in your life again can be flushed out. And you can start with the freshness of your faith that you had at the very beginning. Because Jesus isn't a past tense God. He's a present tense God. He doesn't have to get boring. He always stays exciting. Let him in. Trust, obey. And then there are some here, and you've never experienced the fire. You're going, what's the fire? The fire is everything you're longing for and not finding. You see, you can achieve every goal and every dream you've ever wanted. You can be rich, and you can sell ISAV. You can be a snake oil salesman, and you can get rich and still have nothing. Have you ever noticed it doesn't matter how many of your dreams come true, you can still know there's something missing and still feel empty? Jesus is the one who fills the emptiness. Jesus is the one who changes life from the inside out. Jesus is the one who can take a world of darkness and put light in the hearts of the people living there. But you've got to let him in. He's knocking. And so what I want to do, just before I close out this service, I want to give you the opportunity to make your choice. Whatever it is, if you're on fire, to keep it. If your fire is past tense, to get it back. If you've never had it, to let Jesus in. And so I'm going to pray. And while I pray, I want to encourage you to make your choice. Talk to God. And then I'll close out the service, okay? So bow your heads. Those of you at Brighton, so glad you're with us. Those of you at Grosse Eel, do the same. If you're watching online, glad you're here. Those of you in Plymouth, just, let's just pray just for a moment. God, I just ask you to come to us where each and every one of us as individuals are and light the fire of love, truth, and power in us. Clean us out and help us to experience your fullness so that we can share it. 
for those who are on fire, I thank you for them and the inspiration they are, but God, help them to know the fire is you, not them, and help them to keep it. For those of us who were on fire, let us get it back. Let us open the door to you, Jesus, right now. Come in and cleanse us fully and help us once again experience the flow of your love and truth through our lives. And God, for those who are here and have never experienced the fire, I pray that they would recognize their need for you, that they would repent, that they would give themselves to you, and that they would trust in the power of the cross and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I'll thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before I give you the application and close out with an announcement, I, I want to encourage you with something, okay? I believe God's doing a work in a lot of lives here, and very often it's easy to ignore that work and just go on and act like, you know, nothing's ever happened. But I want to discourage that in your life. I, we have a prayer team. We have prayer team here at Plymouth, prayer team at Grosseal, at Brighton, at Celine, and... And I just want to encourage you, if God's doing something in you, you'd like to pray with someone, you'd like to ask questions of someone, when everyone else is leaving, just come down front and sit down. And our prayer team will come to you in a very appropriate way and then try and help you all they can. And for all of you who just prayed with me, I, I, please let us know as an encouragement to us, but also as a help to you so we can send you information to help you grow. In the program we gave you is this connection card. Easy to rip out, just fill it out. And check off that bottom thing that says, today you prayed to receive Jesus, if that's what you did, or tell us what you did, and we'll try and help you in any way we can. We want to know you made that decision. And as you're leaving, just throw it in one of the boxes at the exits. Here's the application. If we want to live our lives to the fullest, and I think most of us do, then we need to fully open our lives to Christ. We can't shut them on the outside. We can't just give them partial access. We need to fully open our lives to Christ because remember, the kingdom of God is not about talk. It's about power. This is why I can give talks week after week after week and, and nothing happens. It's because talk isn't the point. You know where it becomes life-changing? When you take the truth of the talk and you make the choice to apply it to your life. Hear the knock this week, open the door this week, and let Jesus cleanse you, fill you, and pour himself through you. And then the world, yours and ours, will change. Don't forget the lesson of Laodicea. Make it obvious that your life is being defined by Jesus. And then, next week, you know what will happen? We'll all show up for another talk in the series of origins, but every single one of us will have someone we invited with us and imagine how the world will change. And so I hope we'll do that together. Now, just before I let you get out of here, I hear the keys rattling already here. Uh, before you go, I want you to know this is a really neat week because on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we have this thing we call New Life. It's about once a month here at Northridge in non-summer times. And, and New Life is where we get together as believers and we worship more extensively and we have a talk that's relevant to our lives. This Wednesday night, we're celebrating communion. But what, two things are really exciting about this Wednesday night. The first... Those of you at Northridge Brighton and those of you at Northridge Grosseal, for the very first time, 
are going to have your own new life. We are streaming new life on Wednesday at 7 to Brighton and Gros Seal. You're going to be a part of the talk, the service, and communion there. And I'm so excited about how you're growing that way. It's going to be really a neat time. So that's the first thing that's exciting. The second thing that's exciting is uh, I just got back from Zambia literally about a week and a half ago, got back from Zambia with a small team. And the reason I went to Zambia is because we as a church community sponsor a couple thousand kids in two communities over there, Hamandu and Moyo. And the reason we sponsor them is because we are trying to transform their communities in the name of Jesus, show God's love. And I'm telling you, you know, it's easy when you're sponsoring a kid. Uh, Roxanne and I sponsor three. Many of you sponsor people. Some of you used to sponsor, don't anymore. Some of you have never sponsored. I'm going to tell you something. When I went there, I realized the impact we're making by sponsoring these kids, and I want to share it with you. So this Wednesday night, I'm actually going to share what I discovered when I was over there so that you'll be re-inspired about this thing that we're doing in these two communities. But on top of that, two years ago, we took a Christmas offering here. And for those of you who are guests, this is a very generous church family. And we, we received $2.5 million to build two hospitals in our communities over there. And I know you haven't heard much about it, but let me just tell you, this is exciting. I got to dedicate those hospitals in these two communities, and I, look at I was a part of casting the vision, I was a part of, you know, bringing it to you and all that. I was blown away by the impact we're having. Political leaders, community leaders, and spiritual leaders stood at these dedications, and about every third word was Northridge, and here's why. They can't believe a church halfway around the world cares enough to sacrifice so that they can have access to medical and they won't die needlessly in that area. And they're experiencing the love of Jesus because of you. And Wednesday night, I'm going to share about the impact, share about what's going on, and hopefully we'll be inspired to keep it up. I'm so glad you're here. Let's go live on fire for Jesus. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.